so I can't speak to God. I had to do it through the priest. I had to confess my sins to the priest, not to God. So it's kind of like, it's the exact same as the banks. You can't just deal with the money. You've got to deal with the middleman. And the middleman makes the rules to suit themselves. Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Collective. Today we're going to take it back to where it all began way back in 2008. So this episode will be awesome just to either re-spark that fire for Bitcoin on yeah these red days or to share with people you think will benefit from knowing about Bitcoin and learning along with us. So please share it with anyone that you think would benefit. But also remember, nothing we say is financial advice. Hi everyone and welcome to the next episode of the Bitcoin Collective Podcast. Your journey into Bitcoin, sound money and macroeconomics with your hosts, me, Jim Duffy. Me, Jordan Walker. You're still not used to that really formal no. intro, are you? <laughs> no, not at all. Ah, well, so this is episode two, episode two, Jordan, of our new Bitcoin Collective podcast, which ties in with our Bitcoin Collective conference coming up in October. I know, tying it all together. It's, uh, you know what's going to be really exciting is we've been doing, we've been podcasting for what, nearly two years now? Uh, yep. No, it must be a year and a half, maybe. And you don't really get to see the listeners. No. Uh, but they find out all about us. So I'm yes. excited to actually meet a lot of people at this conference. And I mean, we've been in lockdown for two years as well. It's nice just to be in an event. Yes. It would be nice to meet people and see them and feed off their energy and learn from them. Um, I think as, as I got older, and I'm, I'm just a little bit older and greyer than you. Just a little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still I still surprise myself in that I'll try and learn something different every day. A lot of people, when they get to my age, they think they know it all or they've seen it all or they've got all the answers. Um, but when you continually want to learn, I'm thinking, gosh, where could I be in 10 years' time in terms of my learning? Um, and trying to keep up with it all. So this whole community is so exciting in that regard. I know. Keep, well, that was a big word, keeping up with it all. Yeah. That's where it, it can get overwhelming for people. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're talking about Bitcoin, sound money, and macroeconomics. So we need, to, we need to frame that and put that into perspective. So let's start off. And if I'm starting off, go to start at the very beginning. Name that movie. Oh, you know I'm not good at movies. Ah, The Sound of Music. Ah, oh, I've not seen it. You've not seen The Sound of Music? <laughs> oh, my God. Let's right. Start. Oh, dear. Anyway, never mind all that. Right, now, if we're talking about movies for one second... This one take up more than 30 seconds. Um, have you seen the new Top Gun? No. Oh, all right. Okay. Mr. Tom Cruise, not seen it. Um, I got halfway through it and it was one of the first films that I've thought I want to walk out. I was so bored for the first half of it, but then the second half was amazing. <laughs> oh, Wow. Was the first half kind of framing it up, Lieutenant Pete Mitchell, where he was going, and then all of a sudden he just burst into action? 
Yeah, it's, it was very much for people who love Top Gun 1. And it was like referencing all that. It just felt like they tried to repeat it again. Um, oh. But and it you, does. You know what? It did get a lot better. So it went Did you cry? Did you cry? No. <laughs> Apparently there's been grown men crying at the end of it. Oh, really? Oh, it was, was it a sad bit? Or don't tell me too much. I'm yeah, I won't say anything. There was a few sad bits. Um, okay. To do with Goose in the last film. So so anyway, Tom Cruise, if you are listening, and I know that you're a big Bitcoin hodler, don't listen, don't be disheartened that Jordan didn't really like the first bit. Um, I'm sure I'm going to love it, Tom. <laughs> okay, going back 13 years to the global financial crisis. And the Americans actually call it the GFF, the GFC. They actually, you know, they've got a name for everything. So the yeah. Americans call it the GFC. I was like, what are you talking about the GFC? Is it the global financial crisis, dude? Oh, and, really? and technically that's what it was. Because yeah. I, remember, I actually remember watching, I think it was around about November 2008, watching the TV screens and Wall Street melting and Lehman Brothers melting. And I, I was like, this is phenomenal. This is like entertaining TV. I didn't really have a grasp of what yeah. was truly happening, Jordan. Yeah, and I'm the exact same. Like, obviously, I didn't have, I would have been, I don't even know how old, maybe like 12, 13. So I would have had no grasp of what was happening. But I've still got pictures of me watching the TV. And it was like on the news, people walking out with their, like, you know, the, the boxes yeah. and stuff like that, and just people leaving the buildings. And yeah, I've still got that in my in my head. Yeah. And I, I and I, then I recall Alistair Dowling, who was the British Chancellor, and Gordon Brown, who was the Prime Minister at the time. And they were having conversations with Fred Goodwin, who was the CEO at Royal Bank of Scotland. And essentially, if you read all the books, he phoned them up and said, we've got 30 minutes or something, and the machine, the cash machines are going to stop working. I mean, think about that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're, you're the chancellor or the prime minister and the biggest bank in the, in the UK and one of the biggest banks who was growing globally says, by the way, we've got no money. <laughs> um. And wow, and all that took place. And then very quickly, the British government had to, you know, bolster RBS, the Royal Bank of Scotland. Had to, there was, I remember people queued up along the street, Jordan, and they were outside. I think it was the Northern Rock Building Society because there was a run on the Northern Rock. And there was, I remember, queued. I was like, what are they all doing? And because they were in trying to get their money before it went burst. Yeah, and that's, for anyone new listening, that's what a run on a bank means. Just everyone trying to get their money out all at once. Yeah, and I, and I, I remember watching this, and I've seen it since, and on in places, we actually saw it as part of the Ukraine-Russia war. We saw Russians, ordinary Russians, ordinary yeah. Ukrainians at the beginning, queuing up at banks, and then banks were all boarded up. We saw yeah. it in Lebanon. The banks were saying, sorry, we're shut. You're not getting your money. And I never Cyprus thought I would, as well. Yeah. I never thought I would see that in, in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. So that global financial crisis 
rocked the world. It was all about mortgage-backed securities in America, and they were they were creating these financial instruments and these derivatives, and then bing, it just all unwound. And that's that's the global world that we live in, and we still do, and we can see that today. That when one one thing unfurls and unwinds somewhere else, it, the contagion spreads across the whole globe. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing for people to understand that if one bank does go down or they have trouble, it ripples out the, globally around the whole world and other banks will get affected, which will have a knock-on effect. And yeah. I guess 2008 is where it highlighted the distrust in banks that we have now today. It, I mean, a lot of people will have had that before, but 2008 really brought that out. I think part of the problem was at the time is that the banks and the bankers got bailed out. No one went to jail. I mean, Fred Goodwin, Fred Goodwin walked off with his, his payment and his pension. And that, nobody went to jail. It was just because the problem was the whole system was set up that way and it all seemed to work. But then the central banks all put the money in. I mean, the central banks put the money in. Remember, they didn't have a big safe full of gold and gold bars and money. They just printed it. So that was literally the start of quantitative easing. And quantitative easing, folks, is essentially where the banks create money, the central banks create money, and give it to the big banks. And then the big banks are supposed to put that into the system to allow us to borrow and allow the, the wheels of the economy to, to continue to run. But a lot of the time, that money went into their pockets and yeah. not into where it should have gone. And that's, uh, oh, what was I going to say? 2008. Oh, you know what? I always do this. I say it over and over in my head, what my next point is, and it comes to that, and I'm like, oh, I've totally forgotten. Uh... <laughs> um, but now it's just come back to me right now. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, yeah, Lehman Brothers took the majority of the fall for in 2008. But if we didn't have the central bank just printing money out of nowhere, we would have seen so many companies collapse. And yeah. is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? It's the way the system works at the moment down to the core level, and it doesn't work the way that we we are operating today. Yeah, because what we saw, because what we saw, Jordan, was at that time, the central banks had to intervene there was a huge distrust of banks. You had Occupy, the Occupy Wall Street movement. There were bailouts. There were bail-ins in this globalised world. There were uh, riots. And they started the quantitative easing programme. They reduced interest rates with a view to getting it all under control. What happened with the next, uh, the next in big world incident, the pandemic? It all started to implode again. The central banks intervene. They pump more money into the system. So essentially, the system works because they can print money. But if you, they couldn't do that, it doesn't work. So they're not willing to let it implode so we can start again in a better system. And the problem is, every time they print money, the rich get richer, the cantillion effect, and 
look, look, look at look at the we we now have a cost of living crisis in the UK. We've got yep. a cost of living crisis in the UK, but that's there's not a cost of living crisis in Monaco right now. That's the difference. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and when we're talking about pumping all this money into the system, that's what devalues a currency, and that's why prices are going up. Because if you think you've got the products which aren't really moving, their their value isn't really moving, but the money is moving. The money is becoming less valuable, which means you need to spend more money to buy this one product. So it's not the product's fault, although in some cases you could argue with the supply chain, but the overall arching problem is the money. And that's the one that's losing all its value because of all this money printing. Yeah, so the, the money has been broken. And the money has really been broken since the global... It's, it's been broken before the global financial crisis, but in our time, in our generation, that's the one that stands out. Okay. So at that time, that's what took place. Money started to become devalued even more. And Satoshi Nakamoto... Male, female, group of people, who knows, company, religion, God God knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is. But this person or persons or entity created a white paper, and that white paper was the Bitcoin white paper. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it, 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 it was created, people read it, and... It must have. I must have been like, this is exactly what we need. But no one really, no one really. It didn't get any traction. It didn't. It didn't make the front page of the Telegraph or or the Daily Mail. I was just sitting yeah. there in the background. Yeah, and it was just for the like cryptographers, the yeah. out like the more the geeky people. Let's just say, yeah, those <laughs> those those in that area. So yeah, I guess I guess Satoshi Nakamoto whoever she is, then circulated that amongst her um, friends, colleagues, whatever, contemporaries. Some took it up, some didn't. And it's not, so I've read the, I've read the white paper. It's not easy reading. And I wouldn't ask any, I wouldn't say, go out and read this white paper and you'll know all about Bitcoin. No, you won't. It's, <laughs> but it's a good, it's one, to, it's one to have up your back sleeve for a wet, rainy day. <laughs> But as a result of that, that concept of peer-to-peer, i.e. Jordan to Jim, decentralised, as in no bank, no building society, fair, value transfer. So I can send my Bitcoin or my Satoshi to you, and you can do give it to me. I don't have to ask the bank or Visa or whomever who take a cut or tell me yeah. if I can or I can't. And that's the really interesting part for me right now, Jordan, and that these banks all get bailed out as part of this the monetary system uh, way back in 2008, 2009. These are the same banks now that won't even allow us to open a Bitcoin account. Yeah. Because and of our company name. Yeah, it, I know. It's, you cannot open... If you have the word... Bitcoin in your company, 
it's so hard to open a bank account because yeah. they see it as an attack on their financial system, their way of living. Yeah. Because they've they've been bathing in it for so long. Yeah. They've grown it to be an absolute monster. The, because, the banking system. Because that's where they make their commission. That's where they make their money. They are the middlemen. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same as religion. And some people may or may not like this, right? Let's say you've got God, and I'm just pointing up there because God, we're always told God's up there. And then you've got his his or her middleman, right? And in, in my face, it was the Catholic Church. It was priests. They're the middlemen. They're God's middleman. So I can't speak to God. I had to do it through the priest. I had to confess my sins to the priest, not to God. So it's kind of like, that's the exact same as the banks. You can't just deal with the money. You've got to deal with the middleman. And the middleman makes the rules to suit themselves. That's the problem that we have. That's the inherent problem with fiat currency or pounds, shillings and pence, dollars, yen. I've never, sorry, I was trying to hold it in. I've never heard that before. And I love it. Essentially, it, that's what it is. It, that is exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and, and now there's a new way that's come along and said, okay, we can do that. We can send value from Jordan to Jim, but you don't have to have a, mid, a middleman for this. And that's the beauty of it. It's more ethical in terms of a humanitarian stance. I think but the, I think the word you're looking for is, is human-centred. It's yeah. not so much humanitarian. I think it's human-centred. Yeah. Even though it's technology, I as a human being can send it to you as a human being. I don't have to go through um, all these different banking ledgers all over the world before, the, before it gets to you. It's actually more human-centred than people think. So the other big thing about it and everyone has to has to really grasp this. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin ever minted. So it's digital. It's not a coin. When they talk about coins, it's not like a coin that you're going to have in your pocket. It's a digital piece of code. And there's only ever going to be 21 million. Um, now that differs from banking, doesn't it? Exactly. I was literally to say because I get asked this. I got asked this last weekend by someone because as soon as someone hears, "Oh, you're it, you're like, what do you do? Oh, you're in Bitcoin," and then you you start the spiel. But they were asking why twenty one million. Why is this so important? Why are you emphasizing this so much? But if you look at the system we live in today, so the pounds, dollars, euros, yen, whatever it is, the fiat system is what that's called. If you look at that, there's an infinite supply. These central banks can push a few buttons and print trillions more of it, which means if the supply is going up, the demand is drastically going down. But what happens if you have a cap on that 21 million that no human can interfere with? I think that's the really important bit is that humans have messed this up. Like the greedy people, greedy humans have messed this up that they can print more and more money. But with this new coded way of doing it on Bitcoin, 
You can't do that. There is a cap, a hard cap at 21 million, which means if you've got a fixed supply, demand will be going up. Yeah. So I think the important part of the 21 million part is at no point, at no point, if the system breaks, at no point can we create inflation in the system. So the value remains the same. So whether, whether the price of one Bitcoin is $1 or the price of one Bitcoin is $100,000, it doesn't really matter. That's when you're comparing it to dollars. But if you're comparing Bitcoin to Bitcoin, the price of that is, is what you and I value that at in terms of... Mm-hmm. I'll pay you one Bitcoin and I'll pay you 5,000 Satoshis for um, to buy your second-hand car. Okay, I agree. It's a deal. Send me the Bitcoin. That's yeah. that's where this is going. <clears throat> At no point can you send the Bitcoin and all of a sudden the Bank of England prints another uh, 10 billion and, oh, God, it's actually worth less today. I think that is the key to it. And... It's how you value Bitcoin. I think we value Bitcoin on what it can do for the world, how it can change the world, the payments world, and the asset side of it as well. And other people value it on the US dollar, the Great British Pound, and they'll see it going down in value. And I think what is... You're right. I know I, I'm, I'm just I'm picking up on what you're saying there when you talk about um, value and price. <clears throat> so I watched The Great Reset, um, Pierre Corbin. I've watched it before. I watched it recently, and he puts a thing up, and it was the, in the McDonald's menu in a McDonald's restaurant something like 20 years ago, and a Big Mac was 46 cents. A Big Mac today is something like, I don't know, $6. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was 46 cents. And that's that the reason it's at six dollars today, or if you want the full meal, it's ten dollars, and you want to go large, well, it's an extra dollar. <laughs> that, that's that's because of inflation, because money has money has been poured into the system and it's inflated prices and inflated assets and inflated commodities. Whereas so it's so it's actually here's the bit that I think people need to a- appreciate. Because central banks can pump so much money in and play with interest rates and manipulate things to suit themselves and, and keep us keep us all at bay and happy-ish, <clears throat> what that means is over time, the volatility of cash, of pounds and dollars, you don't see it doing this exact okay. same way. So Bitcoin's doing this just now, up and down. So it's what happens is it's slowly going down. Yeah. If you look at the last 50 or 60 years, the value of the dollar has slowly gone down. It's not been huge spikes. So people don't see it as volatile. But over 50 years, it's highly volatile. Yeah. Going back to the Big Mac analogy, the Big Mac hasn't really changed in no. what, 50 years. It is. It stayed the same. Why is it going up in value? Or why is it going up in price? Sorry. Because of the money. It's all, yeah, it, yeah, it all comes down to that. Because of a 21 million cap, the Bitcoin amount or quantum of money is finite. 
Therefore, there's minimal inflation in it. So no one can get to 21 million and say, I tell you what, the world's just not right at the moment. Let's create another 50 million Bitcoin. Impossible. And that is where, that, that's its main feature in terms of keeping it steady over, in terms of value over a long period. And people will say right now, oh my goodness, but it's up and down. Because right, I mean, in November, October, price-wise, it was $69,000. I think today it's about $20,000. That's just all part of it growing up, being accepted, being accepted by Wall Street, being uh, rocked by world events. But ultimately, these world events will result in the Fed raising interest rates and or printing money. You cannot do that with this digital currency. And you can guarantee that the Fed, the central bank in America, will be printing money very soon with, within the next few years because they have to. They, this is the cycles that they go in. They yeah. go from printing money to pulling back, to printing money to pulling back. And unfortunately, this seesawing from quantitative easing and quantitative tightening, so let's just say turning the money printer off, turning it back on, yep. has created this gap in our wealth, our social, our equality. We've got gaps everywhere between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots. Yep. And... Uh... It's only going to get worse. Exactly. So that's unless, why... okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, unless we start adopting Bitcoin as a world, I guess. Which is going to take 50 to 100 years. So I'll be dead by then. But if you think about, could we create in every country, if every country then say, I tell you what we'll do, we will start to have, buy some Bitcoin, mine some Bitcoin and find out about the sound money characteristics of it. It's just, just going to take time. This current crop of politicians in the UK, probably not. Five years' time after the next election, maybe, who knows. Let's go back. Let's go back to the 3rd of January 2009. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to buy in. I think it's going to be less than 50 years. I just wanted to get that in there well I, I hope it's less than 50 years i'd love to see it yeah um, i think you will yeah okay so we did have we've got el salvador which has created you know bitcoin as legal tender in the country i don't know how well that experiment is going you've got other 44 countries and central banks that were down at a presentation in el salvador will they adopt it who knows because ultimately for a country to do that, a couple of things have to happen. You have to have people in charge that have influence that can say, we want this to happen. And or you need a, a kind of once in a lifetime extraordinary event that causes it to happen. And they're not usually all that pretty. So 3rd of January 2009, the Genesis block, the very first block of Bitcoin. And every 10 minutes, like clockwork, since the 3rd of January 2009, a new Bitcoin block has been formed, as in new Bitcoin. Yep. I think we're, a, we're a, a roughly 18 and a half million just now. Uh, no, I think we're at 19. 19 million Bitcoin are in existence. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Don't know where they all are, but they're in existence. So TikTok, another block, as they say, and that's just been going on and on. And in each block, there's information. There's, it's code. It's, I think if just people say, there's a piece of code, there's another piece of code, they've joined up. They're joined up in a block with a mutable. They cannot be, you cannot mess with it. And miners and those running nodes have verified it all. And I've, all the information on that block is in all their computers, 49,000 throughout the whole world. So it's, it's kind of tamper-proof. And the way to think about that is, so on your iPhone, on your iPhone, iCloud, all my information there is stored on Apple's servers. Right, so they've got. Yep. Let me just give you an example of what they've got. They have got who I bike with, who provides my utilities, my gas and electricity, my Twitter account, how I check the weather, my fitness apps, my blood pressures, all that stuff that you think, hey, this is really cool, is being stored on a central server somewhere by Apple. Mm -hmm. And they say, your data is safe with us, but ultimately they have my data. The difference with Bitcoin is it's decentralized in that it's over 49,000 servers. If, if the Apple server gets attacked, your data's in trouble. If, if the FBI turn and say, I'm sorry, Apple, you're all going to jail unless you let see everyone's data, they're going to have your data. Can't do that with Bitcoin. That's the beauty. It's so decentralized. And that's why it terrifies the FBI, the president of the United States, the central banks, because they won't have control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Think, to think of it in banking terms as well, if you think of your bank, it's kind of like a closed book and they've got all the transactions in this closed book. And this book's called a ledger for the more technical term of it. Um, and they've got all the transactions of all their customers, but you're not able to see it. You can't look at this book and see it, their money going in, the money going out. You can't do that. They've got it all behind closed doors. And I think the difference with Bitcoin is this book is open. You can see it all. And not necessarily it's attached to people's identity, so you can't see names, but you can see all the transactions that are happening on this network. Yeah. And that's that's really interesting. That's a great point you made. That if I was to go into a, a high street bank and say, I'd like to see this, that all the transactions that you've processed in the last hour, they would just laugh you out of the bank. They would throw yeah. you out with security. <laughs> but you can go online to, uh, to the Bitcoin network and you can actually watch all the blocks being formed it's amazing to watch. It's amazing. Now, there comes a caveat with that. So we're not financial advisors. Are you a financial advisor? No, are you? No, I'm not a financial advisor. So we are, we are pitching Bitcoin and the Bitcoin network is sound money. And people will say, aha, but it's open to manipulation. And actually, they're right right now. Mm -hmm because we have a thing in the system called Bitcoin whales. And whales are people who bought Bitcoin when it was pennies. And they might, they've got over 1,000 plus. And the whales together 
across the earth can get together and collaborate with a view to shifting the price up and down. And there's no doubt that takes place right now, Jordan. So and what will happen as Bitcoin becomes more, as its adoption increases, and we're already seeing that with countries and banking institutions, and there's a crypto bill going through the US Senate very soon. As that becomes adopted and Bitcoin becomes um, more scattered throughout the world, the whale's, the whale's influence will dissipate and diminish. Yeah, and, and I think... And that'll be a good thing. There's two arguments for that, because that's just in terms of holding Bitcoin as like, let's just say your savings account, your asset almost. But on the other side of that, that the whales don't really affect what happens in the network side of Bitcoin. And that's where we're talking about where it's going to disrupt like Visa, MasterCard, all of these things. Because I think a lot of people don't understand that you can send money from me to you. I could put pounds in to one of my Bitcoin apps. Pounds in, it sends, it quickly goes onto the Bitcoin network and it sends to you lightning speed. And then when you receive it, it quickly turns it straight back into pounds. So there is only milliseconds that is actually turned into Bitcoin. And I think a lot of people don't understand that you, from either end, it can be fiat money. And if you want it to be anyway, and he just uses the Bitcoin network to send. Yeah. And that's just thing, another side of it. Yeah. And another criticism of the Bitcoin network that people will, will put out there is, oh, it's really slow. It's all technology. It can only, trans, it can only do seven transactions a minute type of thing. Well, okay, but what they're doing is the new breed of tech entrepreneur and Bitcoin entrepreneurs are building layer, layers on top of that. The Lightning Network is the next phase which will speed it up and all those transactions will be able to take place as part of the, the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, so it, the more people interact with the Lightning Network, yeah, and the faster it gets, the more transactions it can actually do. Yeah. So, yeah, I... I'm no expert in the Lightning Network. It's such a complicated subject. And see, even trying to understand yeah. Bitcoin without going into what's on top of Bitcoin, it's so hard. But at the at, at a high level, that is exactly what it does. So <clears throat> the actual network could have been improved as well. So if you think about what we've told you so far, we are, we are suggesting to you as a new form of money, a new form of value transfer, that's capped at 21 million coins, that's totally digitally secure, over 49,000 computers across the world, that's mined, that's got that's on nodes, and that is currently being used and has been used for over 13 years successfully. Okay, so it's just the start. I think what we need to do is develop this more with you. And we're going to do that over the next five episodes so that you understand more and more about Bitcoin, the network, Bitcoin, the philosophy, Bitcoin, the ideology, Bitcoin, the coin, Bitcoin, the computer system. It's massive, isn't it, in terms of trying to understand it all? Yeah, and that's that comes back to our last episode when we're 
we are in this to be just learning all the time. Like, that's why I love it. There's yeah. so many, so many times I will hear people and they'll say something. I'm like, I don't have a clue what that is. Yeah. And then I have to go and research it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of this new podcast, tying in with the Bitcoin conference. So if we want to educate and inform 1 million new Bitcoiners within the next five years, it starts here. And we're going to build that up over the episodes with guests um, from the conference and with other people that we've met on this journey who are going to come and tell their story. So you'll find out more and more. And you will do, by the end of the year, you will be a PhD in macroeconomics and sound money just by engaging with the podcast. And of course, we want to see you at the conference. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah, at the conference. So, Jordan, how are you feeling about the first one? Did we, I think we've covered quite a lot there. It's quite deep. Yeah, we've covered a lot. And we will, on the next few episodes, if you, if anyone's listening that's new, they've not understood fully what everything is. Like, as I said, I listen to stuff. I don't know fully what it is, but we're going to expand on these things and break them down uh, over the next couple episodes. Yeah, and it won't just be Jordan and I, because I'll be honest with you, I don't have the I don't have yeah. what's needed, but we're going to bring on amazing guests to do. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of this global community as well. Uh, so many people want to help. Okay, so lots of learning outcomes there, and we'll put the learning outcomes in the narrative and the, the show notes. Um, and then every Thursday. Every Thursday, you're going to get fresh content. And you know from that 30 to 35 minutes that we put out, you are going to learn something and you'll be able to talk about it with other people. Yeah, that's where you, we want to get to because spreading it is the best thing you can do. And it's the best way to learn as well is what I found is it takes practice to talk about Bitcoin confidently. And I think the more you talk to it, engage with people about it, that's where it highlights, oh, maybe I don't know that bit. Maybe I don't know that bit. So yeah, spreading it and getting as many people involved is the best way to do this. And remember, we're looking for volunteers. We're looking for sponsors. We're looking for businesses to get involved, individuals, companies. Hello at bitcoincollective.co.uk. And you're going to get to know Jordan and I really well. And when you see us on that stage, you'll be like, I know who they are. I know what makes them tick. I understand their passion and I want to be part of that mission. With I like no it. middlemen. No middlemen. <laughs> no middlemen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jordan. Anything else you want to say? No. All good. Okay, everyone, listen, have a fantastic weekend and uh, keep it real. Keep it real. <laughs> <laughs>